All right, all you future podcasters out there, let me tell you about something you need to be aware of. I've been looking for different platforms to put my podcast into, and it's kind of confusing. There's a lot out there, a lot of them that charge you, but I found something that you need to hear. There's a platform called Anchor. Now, you need to understand, this one is free. There's no monthly fees, no yearly fees, no fees of any sort, no sign-up fees. It is free. Now, the best thing about it is that it's free and it comes with so many different tools. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now, then one of the other neatest things is that Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other platforms. All you do is upload your podcast. Anchor handles all the rest. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. First podcast you put up, you can start making money. Now, it's everything you need to have in one place to make a podcast. So, pay attention to this part. It's very important. Go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M or download the free Anchor app to get started. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, grandmothers, um, those in our lives that uh, may act and provide us support um, in absence of uh, mothers. Uh, We take this day to kind of recognize you, to set you apart, as we probably um, ought to every day, and we, um, I'm sure, don't do a good enough job of saying thank you. I want to take just a moment to say thank you. We're going to be going through our lesson again in John, uh, specifically today, looking at chapter 6, verses 52 through 58. Give you a second just to turn that direction. Um, again, I'm uh, blessed and grateful for those that are uh, listening to this study. Uh, like I said, we hope to continue doing this. I'll be recording them either on Saturday nights or Sunday mornings. And then, depending on the length and um, schedule of other church activities, either posting them about Sunday school time, Sunday morning, maybe just prior. Right now, if I am able to post it on a Sunday morning, it'll probably be posted somewhere around 9 to 9.15. Um, for those that might want to get that Sunday school time in before church and then have time afterwards to be able to make it to church um, since we're meeting at 10.30 on Sunday mornings right now. And then uh, if I'm not able to get it that early on a Sunday or the length of the message goes a little bit long, I'll post it after church um, on Sunday so as to not conflict with our Sunday morning service time. Again, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 6, verse 52. So I imagine everybody's there by now. We'll start reading in verse 52, John chapter 6. And the Bible says, The Jews therefore strove amongst themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? 
Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. When John finishes up by telling us, These things said he in the synagogue as he taught, in Capernaum. Now we taught last week and we even taught two weeks ago some benefits that you have um, as a Christian, as somebody who has partake of this living bread. And it's possessed in your heart. It's possessed in your life. What were some of the benefits? Then we went last week and we discussed, okay, how do you take God into your life? And we kind of broke that down. Well, this week we're going to talk about that a man must receive and partake of this bread of life and then what the results are once you do that. So last week when we spoke about how to accept this bread of life in your life, how to accept it into your heart, how to make it part of you, well, now, if you've done that, what results do you get from that? What results do you get from that? We're going to start in verses 52. Well, let me pause just a second. We're continuing this dialogue that we have for quite some time with between Christ and these religionists, these Jews, this back and forth. We talked uh, before that... Um, they start murmuring amongst, amongst themselves because they're hearing things that just doesn't seem to make sense to them. Uh, this living bread, uh, you know, we saw you multiply the bread, we saw you multiply the fishes, and we want that. We want that everyday security of our materialistic needs, but you seem to be taking that um, action and applying it in a way that we're not fully understanding and this murmuring amongst the crowd kind of starts to um, intensify. This isn't unusual with the Jews and we spoke that this is consistent with what their forefathers did back in um, Exodus and Numbers when we saw this uh, once Moses was able to take them out of bondage with Egypt set them free, set them free by these miracles of these plagues that seemed to affect everybody else but did not affect them. And, and then Pharaoh finally says, you know what, go. But then he says, you know what, I, I, I made a hasty decision. I need to go after them. And then we saw this miraculous parting of the sea, the fact that the Jews were able to escape to the other side across dry land. And then once the Egyptian army was in amongst uh, the water and the land that the Lord closed the seas amongst them. Thus, finally setting the children of Israel free, but that wasn't enough for them, was it? 
No, we see that as they continue this, this trek toward the promised land that they then became to want for uh, food. They then became to want for water. They, they, it just one thing after another and they continued to go to Moses and say, um, this isn't enough. You've set us free, but yet we're to die here, at least in Egypt. We seem to have the, the materialistic things to survive. And, and out here, uh, yes, we're free, but we lack uh, what we consider to be uh, sustenance of life. And God had to kind of set them straight many times. So this, this behavior, this, this skepticism amongst the religionists and amongst the Jews is nothing new. Um, Christ was familiar with this because he was present. Uh, he is God. He was present during that time. He saw the distrust amongst the Jews even during the Exodus. So he sees it again now toward him as he is teaching them about himself. So this, this murmuring kind of intensifies and now we see in um, verse 52 where the Bible says the Jews therefore strove amongst themselves. Well, what's this word strove mean? Well, when I looked it up, this means to argue, to fuss, to debate. I like that word fuss. Uh, kind of uh, gives you a good picture of what was going on in this crowd. You know, we went from kind of murmuring amongst ourselves to now we're outwardly debating what does this man mean when he says to eat of his flesh what's he mean and they're debating amongst each other and you have you have some that are interpreting his words as as um maybe he's speaking of a, a in a in a parable you know he does this sometimes we've seen other teachings and he, he likes to teach in parables maybe he's He's talking in a figurative or symbolic way. Others had no idea what he was saying. They're hearing his words and they just, they can't comprehend it. And then a few devoted disciples understood. So you had those that understood trying to convince those that were misinterpreting it. Taking him literal. He's saying eat of his flesh. and ah, That doesn't seem to be uh, right, that's kind of cannibalistic. We know that's not what God teaches. So why is he speaking of eating of his flesh? Others that had no idea, they're like, you know what? Don't even pretend to understand. I don't know. So I'm not even going to proclaim to understand. And you had these three kind of factions just going against each other and outwardly arguing about what was Christ meaning by these words. The point here is that they were disturbed. They were very disturbed. Jesus had been speaking for a long time now, and we've seen that. This, this chapter has been going on for many verses, and we've seen discourse after discourse, and this has been going on for some time, and he'd been speaking for a long time, and he had made claim after claim, and as the claim, each claim continued, their confusion compounded into them beginning to kind of argue about this. They began to argue about what he meant and how to respond. If we don't understand what he means, we don't know how to respond. 
And if we're confused about what he meant, then we can respond the wrong way. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that point later on in this verse when it comes to these verses in particular. You can read these verses and totally misinterpret what the Bible's telling us here, what Jesus is telling us here. And you can develop a doctrine out of this that is just incorrect. It's just incorrect. But we'll get to that here in a little bit. Jesus responded by proclaiming a much more shocking truth. He had been speaking to this point about eating of his flesh and taking and, and accepting this bread of life. But he adds something now. He adds something. What's he, what's he add? Verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and here's what he adds. He adds, and drink his blood. Ye have no life in you. Now they're hearing him say, now we got to do more than just partake of his flesh. You're telling us we have to now drink his blood? Now this was big for the Jews. You got to understand, they were very, these religionists, these Jews, they're practicing a very strict form of Old Testament um, law-based Christianity. And blood was strictly forbidden to be drinking. You were uh, the Bible was very clear um, when it came to dietary regulations that that the blood was supposed to be drained out, was supposed to be cooked through. You weren't supposed to partake of the blood. This was um, this was a very strict legalistic law from the Old Testament. And now Christ is telling them, you, you have to drink of his blood. Now he's doing this for a very specific reason. And, and we understand that because we know the end of the story, as Christ did when he was speaking of this. Of course he's telling us that we have to partake of his body. And of course he's telling us we have to partake of his blood because his blood was the last sacrifice that, that God set up for the remission of sins. Old Testament um, law had individuals having to um, sacrifice different animals for different sins and this sacrifice entailed the, the, the sacrificial blood of this animal. Now, without their blood no sacrifice occurred. Well as Christ was our final sacrifice for the remission of our sins, your sins, my sins, and any believer out there sins past, present, and future, it required the spilling of his blood. And Christ, knowing what was coming, gave them a little bit of look into that by saying, you know what, now you not only have to take of my flesh, but you have to drink my blood. You have to accept that blood within you to be able to have that eternal life. If they didn't kind of understand what was being said, they totally missed the point here. All they heard was a figurative um, speech of drinking the blood, and this sent the people into a frenzy. This absolutely sent people into a frenzy. The words eat and drink here, very interesting. 
uh, when Christ is saying in verse 53, except ye eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Now this word eat and drink, when you look at the Greek tense um, here, uh, and when you're looking at an interpretation of, of Scripture, this can be very important. Uh, when you're looking at the original uh, Greek, uh, tense can be very important. And in this case, this tense is telling us this is a once and for all act. So let me read this again, but, but keep in mind this tense that Christ, that through the inspiration of Scripture and, and, and Him telling us uh, specific truths here, keep in mind this once and for all act he's, he's talking about. He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat of my, excuse me, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and I'll add, once and for all, and drink his blood once and for all, ye have no life in you. Jesus is uh, speaking of partaking this, he's not, excuse me, he's not speaking of partaking this time and a time and again. This is a wonderful um, picture and, and um, uh, truth when it comes to eternal salvation. We accept this bread of life. We accept the blood of Christ once and for all. You don't have to um, accept this over and over to get saved over and over. It's very clear. Scripture is very clear on this point. A person is to eat and drink of Christ, receiving Him once and for all. Once you've done that properly in your heart, it's done. It's sealed at that point. But a man who has not partaked of Christ, spiritually is already dead having no life with God. He has no life, no real and true relationship with the true and living God, and he is doomed to eternal death and separation from God. Notice, it, Jesus even says this. He's telling us this point in that negative kind of connotation, if you will. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat of my flesh, and drink his blood. Ye have no life in you. You are already spiritually dead. You are already separated from God. Now, the converse of that is wonderfully true. If you have taken of his flesh, and if you have accepted that blood in you, then you are joined eternally with God. And you've done that once and for all. What a wonderful, wonderful truth. Now, verse 52. What's the result if you have received Christ? If you have accepted that, that bread of life, if you have partaken of His blood and made it a part of you, what's a result of this? Well, that first result, of course, is eternal life. Two things here. This word for eat is different here. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. Verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. So what's the first result of you partaking this? Eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. 
you have eternal life and you are going to be resurrected. You are going to spend eternity with God. Now this word eat is a little bit different than the previous word eat that we saw in verse 53. Verse 53 we saw this once and for all act. This one is actually telling us that we got to continue. We have to continue. A person must continue to eat and to develop and grow into the habit of feasting upon Christ. Get this picture. Christians grow day to day. There's new Christians and many times when they uh, see these truths first off, this you can see their faces just glow with an understanding like, wow, you know, I've, I've read that scripture, but I never really truly understood that scripture. They're continuing to feast upon God's word, and they see truths come out that they never recognized before. You must continue to feast upon God and upon what he offers so as to grow in your Christian life. You should continue to feast by uh, accepting opportunities to listen to Sunday school lessons, whether it's this one or other lessons. You should continue to feast by being in church, being a part of a Sunday school class if you are physically able to do so, fellowshipping with other believers, watching their example as they live their lives. Cindy and I uh, are always blessed when we go and we spend time in church and we see other married couples who's, we've been married now uh, 26 years and it's a blessing to see watch other couples that have been married say 35 years and see how they've made it work and see how they are living their lives and then we try to take pieces and pieces of that to apply to our marriage I see other Christians that have been Christians uh, maybe longer than I have, maybe even shorter than I have, that are, that are doing something for God in a way that I've yet to understand or to partake. And I take those lessons and I feast upon them and I try to apply them to my life. I see truths in Scripture taught from the pulpit, whether by pastor or other uh, uh, preachers or evangelists, that we get to... Uh, the honor of being able to hear preaching from and and I and I hear truths all the time that I haven't yet applied either to my life or that I haven't yet understood scripturally pastor is doing a just began a wonderful series that I'm very excited about and I know many are Wednesday night about what it means to be a Baptist what it means to be a fundamental independent Baptist even and and I'm excited about this I've been a Baptist uh, um, since uh, being saved back in uh, middle school at Northeast Baptist, but I'm excited to actually hear some uh, historical and biblical context as to what that really means. I believe I have a, probably a pretty good grasp of what that means, but being able to hear Pastor break this down in, in such an inspired way is exciting. So this continually feasting on God and growing day to day as a Christian is very important. While that first feasting upon Him as part of taking His flesh and accepting His blood in the day of our salvation is once and for all, 
please keep in mind that you must continue to partake so as to grow as a Christian, so as to continue benefiting God and doing what He wants from you in, in uh, your life. Verse 55 says this, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. So what's the second result of receiving Christ? The second result of receiving Christ is true satisfaction. I love this part. True satisfaction. The word indeed here at the end, so my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. This word indeed means true as opposed to false. True as opposed to false. The things of this world do not feed and fill men. That is not with a true satisfaction. Worldly pleasures and satisfactions are just false. And false satisfactions do not last. They're not permanent. And they do not have the full assurance and confidence of security that you, that, that you can uh, be satisfied with. Worldly pleasures and satisfactions always leave you empty, dissatisfied, craving, void, unassured, and wondering if this is all the world is. Wondering if there is not more to life than what this world and its possessions have to offer. We spend so much time of our lives trying to climb that corporate ladder, no matter what it is. I can tell you as a testimony of my testimony, I spent so much time of my life um, in school trying to get that next degree. And in and of themselves, it wasn't a negative experience. And having those degrees is not in and of themselves a negative thing. But when you spend so much time striving for those things, thinking that they were going to provide you true satisfaction, in the end, they do not. I spent so much time in my uh, the last 20 years of my career as a police officer trying to strive the next rung that next promotion, thinking each time that I was going to be satisfied. What tended to happen was each time I got that next promotion, oh, there was some satisfaction that came, but it was temporary. And then within time, well, there's a next step. I want that next step. I want that next step. And then you strive for it. And then you spend so much time on that, you get to a point to where you're like, what is the point? What is the point? There is no true satisfaction met with that. Now, again, please don't take that further than it needs to go. There's nothing inherently wrong with spending time trying to make yourself better when it comes to your employment. Matter of fact, I believe that Bible wants us to uh, work uh and, and do so in a, in a, in a God-honoring way. And if by doing that, we then get the recognition to be able to, to advance, that's not a negative thing. Matter of fact, those opportunities can give you opportunities to uh, be a witness for God and, 
and a witness amongst others just by living your life that, that you may not be able to provide at a lower level. So in and of themselves, those things aren't negative. But when they become the focus of our lives, when they become the only thing that you're after, thinking that they will provide full satisfaction, well, that's what the Bible's telling us here. Those things are false. Those things provide false satisfaction. How about when you have the ability financially to be able to have some uh, what I would consider toys in your life, things that, that aren't necessary, if you will, but we sometimes think they are. Um, it, some people feel it necessary to have the uh, 65 inch or even 80 inch. I was talking to a, a, a friend the other day talking about getting an 80 inch TV for their living room. You know, that I can't get it here in Ponk, I might have to go somewhere else. Uh, again, Nothing inherently evil or wrong with those things, but when they become our focus in life, thinking that they're going to provide us some satisfaction, then that's where the problem incurs. Or how about the best, newest car? Forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars or more on vehicles. Uh, vacations, which none of us are taking many vacations right now during this quarantine period. But there's going to come a time when those things are going to open back up. We all received checks in the mail with stimulus money. and uh, Of course, the government has this mindset that they want us to go out and invest this money in the economy so as to encourage the economy to grow. And again, nothing inherently evil about that. But we see the stores filled because of people having that money and there's going to be a lot of people spend that money on worldly things thinking that's going to provide some satisfaction after this time of of kind of oh if maybe dissatisfaction and in the end they're going to spend on some uh, superficial things that aren't going to mean anything in the big scheme of things and the Bible's teaching us here, Jesus is teaching us here, that He's the only one that provides true satisfaction. The point of this verse is this. Just as real life on earth comes from eating and drinking food, so real and abundant life comes from eating and drinking Christ. And I love this picture. We cannot survive day to day without ingesting food and drink into our bodies. We have to eat so as to re, to have the energy to be able to go day to day. You have to be able to you have to drink water continually. You can go without food and water for only so long and your body just can't continue. So is the case when it comes to eating and drinking, being able to partake of Christ. If you do not continue this ingestion yes as we said earlier you're saved because of that initial uh, partaking but you cannot grow as a Christian and can become stagnant as a Christian and even backslidden as a Christian unless you continue this ingestion and the result of a truly fulfilled life in Christ is security patience assurance joy confidence, faith, love, 
and peace. Isn't that what we're all really after? Are those things in life? You reach a point in your life that you kind of question, you know, is this all that I'm here for is to just kind of work, pay taxes, and die? I've talked with people and, 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 and they question that. When you have that thought in your mind, you're kind of like, what does life really mean? Well, if you have partake of Christ and understand what he's trying to tell us, and these Jews that were there, these religionists that were listening to him, were all debating these things in their head. And when they understood what he was truly trying to say, then they could have that true significance in their life. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you hunger and you thirst and you're continually partaking of Christ physically each day, each moment, every moment you can, you shall be filled. Psalm 107.9 says, For he satisfieth the longing soul, and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. The, 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 the lesson here is very clear. You should, you should strive, you should hunger for the things of God, not for the things of the world, not for the keeping up with the Joneses, as they say, and wanting the best of, of these worldly possessions. And I, and I just feel compelled at this point to continue and say, please don't take that further than it needs to go. And, and thinking that those things are bad. If, if you have the means to be able to have those possessions, then praise God. But they shouldn't come at the expense of your Christian walk. Verse 56, Christ continues by saying, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. The third result of this is of accepting Christ is supernatural companionship and fellowship, care, and being looked after. This word dwell means to abide, continue, inhabit, rest in or upon. The person abides with Christ, even as Christ abides in him. You have this mutual companionship, that friend. That Father who, who never leaves, who is always present to provide comfort. This means fellowship and companionship with Christ and the presence of His care and watchful eye and looking out for us. I was struck while uh, reading this and, and studying this week that during this uh, kind of quarantine time that we're kind of coming out of, but uh, many were kind of online suggesting that they were um, lonely or that they were seeking social interaction. When the believer had who obtained Christ and has Christ, has Christ dwelling with them continually, has that companionship, has that fellowship continually. Verse 57 continues, and Christ continues by saying, As the living Father hath sent me, and I lived, live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. A fourth result of receiving Christ is a life full of purpose, meaning, 
and significance. The man who receives Christ lives by Christ, and he begins to live in all the purpose, meaning, and significance of life, for apart from Christ, there is no life. Kind of went over this in some of the previous verses, but uh, as we spoke about, if you don't obtain Christ, you have no significance in life. You're, you're already dead. You're already dead spiritually separated from God. For without God, there can't first be love. Because love comes from God. God loves us. Why? Because He first loved us. We have to partake of Him to have real significance in life. Philippians 1.21 For me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And verse 58, this is that bread which come down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. A fifth result of receiving Christ is incorruptible food within our hearts, energizing our lives forever. You partake of his flesh. You partake of his blood. You have this incorruptible food. Just as we said, food, you we have to ingest food. But yet, the food that we ingest and the drink that we ingest, we have to continue to do. This flesh, this food, this drink is incorruptible. Can provide the things that that, while important to us, to continue to live. His flesh and his drink are in such a manner that they last e eternal. It is this living bread, Christ himself, who energizes and quickens a man to live forever. To have eternal life. He and he alone has this energizing power. 2 Timothy 1.10 but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You have to partake of this bread, of this drink, of his blood to have this incorruptible life. All the things of this world are false. They provide no lasting security. Now, one thing I, I feel compelled to kind of mention, I'm not going to dwell on it, but I, I said earlier that I was going to mention this. This, uh, As you misunderstand his teachings, it can lead into um, some false doctrines. Well, if we read these verses and we see that as the Jews misunderstood what Christ was trying to tell them here when he was saying, you should eat of my flesh and you should drink of my blood, that this is the section of scripture that the Roman Catholics use to substantiate their uh, dogma of transubstantiation. This as they partake of their sacraments that uh, the wafer, as you partake of it, actually transforms into Christ's flesh. And the wine, as you partake of it, actually physically transforms into Christ's blood. 
Christ here does say, you shall eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Now, as a Baptist, we believe that to be an absolute false doctrine. And for one reason is this, and there's other reasons, but I, I, I didn't want to spend a great amount of time on this, except to point this out to you if you've been exposed to this and mention but one um, reason why we believe that to be false. And that is that we have this thought of communion versus the Lord's Supper when uh, the Lord's Supper wasn't even mentioned here in Scripture until just before Christ's crucifixion. He was not referring to this um, act of partaking of the Lord's Supper here so we wouldn't even have had this confusion when it comes to sacraments, Lord's Supper, and, and being able to partake physically. Of course, he was, he was speaking in a figurative uh, way. And when you take a figure of speech, literally it can, it can mess with your doctrine. So that's why interpretation of Scripture in context of Scripture is so important. You can't just take one section of verses and create a doctrine around it when you don't take that section of verses in context with the rest of the verses around it, with the rest of the book within it, and or with the rest of the Bible that that book is, is surrounded by. So, um, if you have that confusion, I encourage... Uh, uh, reach out to us and we'll be uh, more than glad to kind of break that down into uh, um, a more understanding reason why we just do not believe that to be the case and why we believe that to be a false doctrine. But I'm going to close by mentioning this. I've been spending some time this week. We have a section in our where we store a lot of our canned goods and I'm trying to come up with a way to build kind of a pantry around and in researching what to what do you put in a pantry of course I I uh, found those sites and these people on YouTube that are what they consider preppers um, a lot of that going on uh, right now just with this virus you know what things do we have to have within our homes so as to continue if, if we weren't able to go to Walmart or we weren't able to go to the grocery store, what things do we need within our home to be able to survive continually, to be able to kind of continue to eat? Maybe not at the level we're used to, but we can, we can eat in a way that provides for our, uh, our ability to kind of function, if you will. And as I was studying this lesson, I, what struck my mind is what... What I thought was interesting is none of these preppers I watched had a storage place for big screen TVs. None of them had dug a hole in their backyard and had buried a, a school bus full of computers. Or a school bus to be able to park their uh, fancy cars. Now, these preppers, if they did and I have seen pictures of people that have like buried school buses and used them for storage. I have seen where some of those people have used that storage area to be able to store uh, canned food. They only store those things 
that you truly need to sustain life. Food, water, a lot of water. Which should tell us a lot of the toys that we buy. And we put such significance in aren't real significant to life. I don't consider myself a prepper. Um, but when you start looking at, well, you know, in just this last few months, you know, maybe we do need to take some more time and have some more water on hand or some different foods. But again, this is just a point that those are the things that we need to survive. But to take what we learned today scripturally, it is the food that God provides, His flesh. And the drink that he provides in his blood that, that kind of covers our sins. And that it's these things that we have to continually utilize and ingest into our lives so as to have real significance in our life. Real meaning in our life. So I pray that if you are struggling maybe right now in in. in finding that continual feeding in your life when it comes to the things of God that you find a good Bible-believing church and attend and start to have that. If you're unable to attend, and, and we understand there are those in a, in a physical condition and they're unable to attend, that you continue to utilize maybe teachings like this or our um, live stream um, of our services to get that feeding that you get in scripture and you get the feeding directly from the word of God dear heavenly father I want to thank you for this lesson this morning I want to thank you for just the sacrifice that you provided yourself that if it wasn't for your death and sacrifice on the cross and your resurrection three days later we wouldn't even have the opportunity to be able to partake of your flesh and 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 accept that blood covering our sins we're so grateful for it and i just ask that you give myself and anyone listening and, and others the the um, eagerness and the hunger to to seek out the things of god the things that you provide that that provide meaning and significance to our life again i thank you for our lesson this morning i pray that you're with our services this morning and this evening and we pray all this in the glorious name of jesus christ amen god bless we'll see you next week